35 years and that craboid is still chasing me up a fucking hill of nope imperfection <laughs> oh everybody and welcome back to episode 5 slash part 2 of talking tremors i am your host levi dylan burzloff lut oh man that was a highly energetic opening because i am super sad right now Oh, yeah. Um, I was doing the podcast commentaries for Tremor 7 and Tremor 6, and they depressed me so that I had to switch over to the Kevin Bacon Tremors pilot to lift up my spirits, and it only crushed them more. Fuck. (laughs) That's what I get. Uh, Although it made sense at the time, because technically the chronological order... You go from those movies, 2018, this is still 2018, that this is made in between 6 and 5, made sense. So, yeah, uh, hopefully you have listened to the episode before this, uh, where I read the entire script for this pilot, uh, it's gonna give you a good context of what's happening here, um, and nobody fucking has it, so I was like, fuck you, Universal, and here you go, take it. So now spread that shit like wildfire, because it's awesome. It's a great, 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 great script, uh, written by an awesome dude, Andrew Miller. Thank you, Andrew Miller. Uh, follow him at Miller Low Life uh, on Twitter, because it's this shit's about to get depressing, yo. Oh, the last other episodes probably made you feel good or something, but this is just gonna bring you right the fuck down, Bruce. And I would also like to thank. Uh, Hollywood Unseen and another film nerd, uh, both findable on Twitter uh, underneath those handles, uh, for writing uh, a lot of what I'm going to read out to you today, something that needs to be heard more, uh, needs to be seen, but nobody's fucking reading it or learning about it, uh, is this great article that they wrote uh, that's basically an interview with Andrew Miller uh, and a bunch of other people about the actual Tremors pilot. You know, there you can see finding near perfection the 2018 tremors pilot uh i'm going to be reading through this uh really just reading the quotes from the people and then interjecting with my whole big ass list of fuckery yeah it's gonna be big it's gonna be shitty and i can't make it funny folks not a fucking bit uh, so I hope you watch the video version of this, because this will probably make you feel a lot better. Because I'll, I'll, I'll be jimming the camera, and I'll wink when I, I'll tell you when I'm winking there. Uh, podcast people. Because you guys are the fans. That's, uh, hopefully you're here because you're a fan. And uh, with that note, this whole article starts with a great quote. For the fans, by the fans. And there is no <clears throat> greater indication that this script was written with love and reverence to the Tremors movies than the actual first lines of the script, uh, which aren't actual dialogue. It's Tremors pilot based on the kick-ass film written by S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock. 
Boom! Chakalaka! Pretty cool, huh? Uh, not how you normally write a cover letter on a script. So that's a great way to just be like, yeah, this is my thing. This is what I'm doing. And as Andrew Miller says, it was never a conscious decision on my part. Tremors was an enormously impactful part of my film development. I remember seeing it in the theater. I remember seeing it on video. For me, it was the first movie that really introduced horror with comedy. And as a daytime horror movie, it was so powerfully different to anything else other than, say, Jaws. So it really left its mark on me. And I never really had to worry about trying to be faithful to the film because it never, it could have never been anything other than that. Uh, I could do an Andrew Miller impression. He's actually kind of, he's, he's uh, just a little guy, you know, he's, but he's kind of like, scared. I, I totally feel for the man because he's been through a lot of shit, okay? Uh, and I could tell he's fucking stressed out. Like, uh, but it is, it's just that, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll slip it in there as a little bit of levitivity to all this. Um, and as he, he continues to like go here, this is a whole fan. This is how much fans wrote this. I'd written these action figures into the script and they'd found this kid online who'd been making tremors action figures in this Etsy store. Ooh, actually that wasn't bad. It feels a little derivative. So I'll try not to, uh, he was a huge Tremors fan and had made Graboids based on all the movies, and we approached him to see if he wanted to make uh, bigger action figures that we could use in the show. As a thank you, we flew him out to the set. He got to meet Kevin Bacon and uh, even brought out a remote-controlled Graboid that was really incredible. Oh, I actually like my Andrew Miller impression. Hey, if you're listening, Andrew, I, I, I've I only heard you in a couple interviews. I really do like you. Uh, yeah, man. Like I said, I feel your pain. It translates, so let that let that be how I'm writing uh, that impression in my mind. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's a guy, uh, and you can actually see some of these uh, action figures that they have or whatever. Uh, they were they gave them away as a set gift. Uh, they made like 200 of them. Yep, made 200 of them as a parting gift for the pilots, cast, and crew. Uh, and you can actually see one at Thomas uh, DJ. Two, uh, somebody uh, they follow on the Tremor saga. Uh, they only follow like Tremors people. So if you're ever looking, like that's, uh, but that's one of the few people who worked on a pilot who has one of those. And he's always like posting a picture of that. It's just a little Valentine McKee, you know, little action figure, kind of adorable. And there's a whole bunch more too. Uh, I'll make sure that Tremor saga people post these pictures of all these like different merchandise and stuff. Uh, we generated so much enthusiasm as we were going. At one point, we found office space on the lot in Albuquerque. One of the custodians came up to me and said, This is my favorite film of all time! At no point did I ever encounter people who weren't excited about Tremors. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I'm doing a whole podcast about it. And you're fucking listening to it. So, like, maybe there's something there to that. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? Honestly, so talking about if we're gonna talk about fans, we do like it's a great way to lead into Kevin Bacon being a fan, like this being like the one thing that he's actually a fan of. Um, there's a and this is how I know that he's still that way, and they'll even talk about this as they go through it. Go to Kevin Bacon's Twitter right now, look it up, and tell me what quote do you see? Ah. Uh, uh, you're doing what you, you know, go ahead and do what you can with what you got to go figure that out. 
wink. But in all seriousness, uh, Kevin Bacon's Twitter bio does say, doing what I can with what I got. Uh, doing what we, yeah. Yeah, doing what I can with what I got. Uh, just like, fuck, that wasn't even your line, bro. You weren't even in that movie. <laughs> you fucked out of that movie. There's a great, uh, <coughs> there was an original Tremors 2 with Kevin Bacon and Reba returning. But Kevin Bacon, uh, and this is admittedly, I get it at the time, saw direct-to-TV, direct-to-video movies, as you know, less than. And he was kind of coming, becoming a bigger star. And so then it was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Uh, and having, like, left off of the first Tremors movie where he had a fucking, his first baby with Kira Sedgwick. I say this in the first podcast episode. It always blows my mind when people are mad at Kevin Bacon for not coming back. It's like, I don't know. Maybe he was you know, has the bad experiences. <laughs> Maybe like having all of that other shit around you kind of like messes up how you feel about things. Don't blame him so much. Um, but there's a great story too, where Kevin Bacon, uh, his, his kids come up to him and they're like, Hey dad, uh, you know, have you seen Tremors too? And he's like, no, I mean, you know, I'm not in Tremors too. And they're like, yeah. But it was cool. <laughs> so even his kids just kind of like, oh, yeah, man, we love you, Dad, but we would have loved to see you in that. It's okay. We understand. You made us instead. That's a win. Uh, so for Kevin Bacon to want to come back and do this must mean, you know, something really important. Uh, as Andrew Miller says, it was significant to his life in many, many ways. Kevin's done a lot of great movies and played a lot of amazing characters. So when you ask him about the role that means the most to him, and he says, Val, there's an enormous amount of pressure to do right by him. There wasn't a chance in hell I was going to piss on that memory or that experience. So from the very beginning, I was only making this for an audience of two, which was me as a fan and, and him as Kevin. My fandom, I, I thought, would be fine for everybody else's fandom and Kevin was Kevin. So I wanted to make sure he was okay with everything. God. Oh my God. I haven't really done an Andrew Miller impression. So this is just like falling off. Really cool. So I, like I said, Andrew, if you're listening, I love you, bro. <laughs> uh, and the whole Genesis of this idea, uh, was Kevin Bacon and Jason Bloom of Bloom house productions. Uh, had gotten together one time, and Jason asked if there was anything from Kevin's past that he might be interested in exploring as a sequel. And Kevin told him the only character he'd played that he ever thought about was Val. Jason said, that's all I needed to hear, and began to make plans. Which is really cool. Uh, I I go back and forth on Blumhouse, too. Like, eh. Uh, seems like a kind of an iffy guy, but he makes good stuff, has a good reason behind it. Uh, would love to know more. Would love to dig into that dude's brain a little bit. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's just him talking about the other writer. Oh, I, actually, and this is what uh, we're going to get into. Uh, <coughs> that nostalgia about what you're doing. You can love the original. You have to then move on. You have to then make your own thing and do something different while also acknowledging that that still happened. Um, and one of the things that that drew uh, Kevin Bacon, because I, I do want to say Kevin Bacon, I feel like this is a lot of his decision, was uh, Andrew Miller's decision. And you can see this if you've listened to the, the script or, or read it. 
to make Val uh, way fucking shitty. Oh my god, I'm just realizing that now. Like, I mean, like, it, oh my god, terrible person, um, and not like malignantly so, but in a stuck in a heyday of having killed graboids and never ever leaving that. Uh, there's a great line at the, that describes him in the at the beginning of the script. He looks like an older version of the coolest guy in high school, or, or, or the older the, an older version of the coolest guy you knew in high school, or an older version of the coolest guy you saw in a movie when you were in high school. Like just this whole he is stuck in the past. His daughter Emily has a, has a really great. Uh, rant about it and as I was performing that was really like wow Emily um, saying like yeah you you want graboids to come back because that's your like that was when you were cool that's what made you cool look at your hair your outfit like everything that you're doing you know he never actually ended up leaving perfection and uh, much like Grady and Earl's monster world tried to start that imperfection but didn't quite work as well which I mean Huh, and you're probably wondering, well, I mean, does that jive? How can, how much can we get with, like, that being alongside the original movies and TV show? You switch timelines a little bit here, folks, you can get that to happen. And, as we're going through, you'll read, you'll hear that Andrew Miller already had nuggets of ideas, or at least the intention to make those happen, which is, when it comes to planning that's all you need sometimes you gotta have something don't just be running running is not a plan running is what you do when a plan fails so kevin bacon wanted to come back and do this uh for being something different uh he may have thought about val and a lot of a lot of what this script would rely on is a line from the original script which is again describing Val saying that uh, Val was smart and good looking, but had still managed to somehow underachieve brilliantly. Uh, and actually Bert uses that line in the sixth movie. Your, your father was the most brilliant underachiever I'd ever met. Uh, <laughs> so I, I gotta, I, I go back to, do I hate that movie or not? Because they know that line. <laughs> uh, but this pilot, yeah, most brilliant underachiever I'd ever met. You know, managed to underachieve brilliantly. And that is, as we'll go through here, Val is, yeah, shit. Uh, we all we all love him and stuff. But look at look at him, like, nailing the hammer on the post. Guy's not smart. I, I mean, or at least, like, on the ball, he is, you know, smart-ish. But, like, yeah, lucked into a lot of circumstances, which ends up playing into things. Uh at the time, we were having this incredibly strange, horrific election process, which, to me, felt relevant. Val uh, became America, America to me, in the sense that, as a nation, we were looking at this vision of ourselves, uh, an idealized version of ourselves that, that wasn't true, but that we'd managed to be glorious and heroic and great, that, that, that we couldn't get past. The, the danger there is that you become so enamored with this false idea of the past that you're incapable of seeing the dangers lurking beneath the surface. And, like in America right now, while we were rhapsodizing about how great we used to be and all these other issues we're developing, like racism and sexism, which, which suddenly erupted, and we were completely ill-equipped to deal with them. 
that, to me, is was Val. He has had this idea of himself as a 20-year-old, and because he still has the same hair and the same physique, he's able to delude himself into thinking that he's still the hero he was in the original movie. But the uh, tr- uh, truth is, he can't fight the Graboids as that guy. And he was never as heroic as he thought he was back then. So the point of the season would be starting with this broken hero who's lost everything because of his own ego, imagination, and building him back up over the course of the season to become the hero he wants to be to beat the Graboids. From an actor's point of view, from a storyteller's point of view, that's really what appealed to Kevin. Ah, oh my god, just reading that. Are you feeling that? Just like, damn, man. Uh, I'm doing the Andrew Miller impression now and leaning into it because I want I want you to feel that man. You know what I'm saying? He does he does do that stutter. It's all that, that high pitched. Uh, it's very cute and nerdy. I, I hear a lot of myself in the guy. And yeah, whoo, yeah, just that broken broken hero, uh, looking at what he what Valentine did in the first movies, what everybody did truly uh, from an objective lens. Uh, which this does a great thing of uh, talking about the actual genocide of Graboids, something that they bring up in the third movie, where it's like, uh, Bert, you've killed these uh, life forms on over two continents uh, at the at the at the request of multiple foreign governments, mind you. <laughs> but yeah, there's still dinosaurs, like old ass dinosaurs. Do you go to Jurassic Park with a rifle and a and a rocket launcher? No. Go with a sense of wonder. Uh, we just fucked up and happen to be where they eat. You know, I get that. that pfft, shit happens, bro. Um, yeah. So I'm reading through here. I already I've read all this and just making sure. Uh, <laughs> I and I do. I, I honestly want to read just some of these lines out because it's more just like just showing you how little Kevin cared about. Uh, keeping a pristine image and making himself look better. This was actually about telling a real story. Kevin emailed me. It was Thanksgiving. And he said, We've been up north at this house. I haven't slept in a week. I haven't shaved. I fell. I hit my head. And uh, I look like shit. So I took these pictures of myself that I'll send to you if you, you want to use them in a pitch. Of course, of course, having said that, he's still about the most handsome human being I've ever met in my life. So even at his worst, he still looks like a movie star. But he was completely unselfconscious in the way he approached this character. Both physically and emotionally, actors can be very protective of their own image and their own brand. And it came hard to play a character that takes the audience too far away from how they see you. That's not the case with Kevin. He dove into it as deep as any actor could. And and we'll keep going. Uh, if you've watched the... If you've listened to me do the pilot script or read it, what happens at the beginning is a great uh, callback to that while also saying how the world has changed. Um, no short order. Val pisses his pants. Uh and I've seen people uh, try to call this out as a bad thing. So when I then went to go read the script, like that was my number one thing that I was like, okay, Val pisses his pants. Like, what the fuck? Um, 
And when people would describe it to me, they would be like, it's a joke. It's supposed to be funny. You read that and it's not funny. I mean, there's a, a level of cosmic humor to it. But what ends up happening is that Val's driving, uh, has to gets the call of nature, has to run. And and actually, the, the, way, the way I pitched it was like, he's, he's talking to his penis. He's talking to God. Nothing's working. Then he thinks the Graboids are coming. It, it scares the shit out of him. He pees himself. The producer said, he's a movie star. He's not going to piss his pants on film. So I, I called him and asked, and he said, makes sense. If anything's going to release it, that would. That was his attitude. I never asked him to do anything that didn't make sense, and he embraced that. <clears throat> Which, when you're reading it, is a really, yes, that's what happens. You're, you're, you get this lead up to like, oh, we're going to do the thing from the first movie, but then, oh no, he literally can't. Uh, P, uh, the Graboids come and he falls over onto Prairie Dogs. If you didn't even need need even more of a they know what they're doing reference, uh, and he lands on a Prairie Dog, ends up pissing his pants, uh, gets up and then even in a cool way, then the Prairie Dog scuttles away, gets eaten, and that's how the that's how the title starts. Tremors, uh, six Prairie Dogs, um. Yeah. So yeah, that's Kevin Bacon. Um, only uh, yeah, that's the only movie he's rewatched. Hey, I'm I'm just thinking I've got my list here, uh, but I just like I like going around in a circle. Like I said, this one is way less funny uh, than the other ones, but it is not supposed to be. Uh, it's supposed to be way more informative, and it has been so far. I feel like I've learned a lot my own self. <laughs> uh, there's something that's talked about in the script itself. Uh, by one of the characters, Harlan Mailer, uh, which it's alluded to, the Graboids are almost speaking into his mind, but they're also speaking into several other people's minds for different reasons. That time is like a pancake. Everything that has happened will happen and continues to happen again. Which, in this world of perfection and movies that start in one place and end also in that place which any good story should you start and end right where you uh, right where everything began it always comes back around always um maybe i'm setting myself up here but i've got oh no yeah it always comes back around to talk about the pissing yourself it's not it's not a joke. People would call it out as funny, and it's not a joke. Is it funny that you can't fucking... Your body doesn't work anymore? No. It's something that we can all experience. It, it is funny. It's not a joke, though. It's a reality of the situation. Uh, <laughs> don't be hating, bro. Uh, also, it kind of pisses me off, because you're like... When you read that, and people recontextualize it. You're like, okay... But were you paying attention then? No, you weren't. That's the point of fucking critical thinking. Try a little harder. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, because it always comes back around. Ah! All right. To that point, we kind of get to move on to, like, other people. Um, You're like, okay, but it's Kevin Bacon's fucking Tremors pilot. I don't care, because guess what? Melvin and Mindy were in it, folks. I don't want to hear 
any more of this bullshit about, Oh, but like, Mark Gummer wasn't coming back, so I didn't want to watch it anymore. <sighs> Alright, folks. We're gonna fucking dash some misconceptions here. First things first. Earl is in a fucking frame on the wall and is a part of the dialogue in the sense that someone brings him up and pisses Val off because Earl has gotten to go and actually make a life for himself. Uh, he has expanded into six cities and in a, I don't know if there was a Gradient Earl's Monster World, but they don't necessarily say that there wasn't. You know what I mean? Uh, and Andrew Miller talks about later, he had he had plenty of, like, if we get there, I would love to bring all the other movies back into it. Because the people that didn't want that were universal. And when you're writing and they don't know and you're a lot smarter than they are, you can write a bunch of shit in there that they have to use. And they didn't fucking know it. So suck on it, bitches. Um, <clears throat> so Earl was there. We've got Melvin. Melvin is still real estate developing. Ah! He actually brings the bad guys to town on accident. Well, I mean, it's fucking Melvin. So who knows if he knew and he just didn't care. Uh, and then you have Mindy coming back, who's actually now a doctor. And really, like, actually drives a little bit of the plot on her own off to the side. Okay. That's awesome. And then even more so, not only are those two people back, there's a scene where Melvin gives Val a dressing down for, like, almost using him as graboid bait when they're on, on the on the roof. Hey, Melvin! Wanna make a buck? Yeah, you eat it! Walter's tractor? <laughs> Let's start him up! <laughs> uh, gives him a great dressing down. And then, on the flip side of that, Mindy who got saved by Val in the first movie, uh, almost like falling in love with him. Uh, because, here, for people who knew the movie, they probably hadn't thought of those characters much over the intervening, intervening years. But they'd be delighted to see them again. And if you didn't know the movie, it wouldn't matter. All you needed to know is Minnie was nine and on a pogo stick when Val saved her life. And that Melvin was on top of a little lean-to, bouncing a ball and driving everybody crazy. And I was just tickled by the idea that both of these characters, their their evolution had been deeply affected by Val. Val's like the third youngest character in that movie, so it felt like these guys would be the most impressionable. And the impact of those 25 years would have been the most profound. Mindy being in love with Val felt like a natural progression. She was literally grabbed from the clutches of death by this incredible cowboy hero. Why shouldn't she be in love with him? And why wouldn't Val be the standard by which she judges all other men in her life? Which is why she's failed so badly in relationships in the past. Similarly, similarly, with Melvin, why wouldn't he be obsessed with destroying Val? Or at least being driven with this hatred or obsession for 25 years that's turned him into a monster? I really love reading what Andrew Miller has to say about this. I can talk about it my own self, but I only like to talk about things that nobody else has heard about. If somebody else knows something more, always listen to them. Um, holy shit. That, yeah. That evolution moving forward, we know that these things happened, and then pfft, they spiraled into something else. Uh, if you've watched any of the other TV shows, Melvin's a fucking douchebag. Uh, 
almost, again, getting the town killed on several occasions. Uh, and yeah, Mindy grew up even too to like, uh, weirdly enough, dating one of her professors in a really weird way. So who knows? Maybe she did, you know, falls in love with Val as that like, oh, bad relationships go. So that's happening. We have Mindy. We have Melvin. We got Earl. Wait, are we missing anybody? I feel like, <gasps> Ooh, wait, <laughs> I have some dialogue about that. <laughs> The network was much more interested in the original than the sequels, tonally and creatively. This was fine, because we were imagining the town going in a different direction to the sequels anyway, so the idea was to branch off to say, look, we all love this movie, and there's this fantastic universe that exists out there. This isn't that. This is different. It's with Kevin, and it's a little different mythology. Having said that, my semi-private goal was to find a way to get those universes together. I never discussed this with the people behind the sequels. This was just me saying, we have a town, we have all these writers, we have a huge Graboid puppet. What if we could use some of our characters to spin off into movies and tie them in with characters from the other movies? Yeah, what's that sound like? Uh, and here's another great Andrew Miller uh, navigating the tight ropes of corporate bureaucracy is difficult, uh, but you can bet with Walter, with Walter Chang as my witness, there would have been room in this world for the gummers. Oh, Shapang buddies. Okay. Topanga. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, if you were thinking that there was no chance that this was happening and nobody cared. And that, yeah, this wasn't for the fans, by the fans. Fuck a bunch of you. You have been lied to. I am sorry, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Thunderdome! <laughs> oh, and I, this thing does a great job here of going through for me. Um, In... The episode, the central emotional driving plot, uh, which, fuck yeah, man, you don't need just regular plot. What's your emotional plot? Often far more important and fascinating is this relationship between Val <coughs> and his daughter, Valor. I mean, Emily. <laughs> Sorry, I needed some cran grape juice. And we're back. The central emotional relationship in this movie, in this episode, is between Val and his daughter Emily, Valerie. Not really. Um, principally, it's a father-daughter story because she represents the worst parts of what he lost. In addition to beating the graboids, the first season arc would have been about winning back her love. Uh, and it's really awkward in this first episode, uh, <clears throat> like, whole can't get out of the past thing, uh, you remember, you know, we had a great birthday in the Graboid bunker, in the fucking Graboid bunker, bro, uh-uh, yeah, there was freeze-dried ice cream and freeze-dried cake, and yeah, it was great, <clears throat> and yeah, Val, that's how old he's gotten, Val talks like Earl now, that's where it's at, uh, I had ice cream, you had beer. And then Val, well, I could get us a couple of beers. No, man. Like, Ako Taco. 
your daughter's trying to tell you, like, you just fucked up a lot. Don't do this anymore, bro. Um, as Andrew Miller says, I wanted those things to be funny and sad at the same time. He has his daughter right there, and all he can see is the past. He's talking wistfully about this time they spent together in a bunker, fearful of a graboid attack. There's nothing remotely romantic about it. It's just awful. But at the same time, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's tragic. You know, he's a good guy with a heart, but he just goes about it. Everything in the wrong way. She hates the past. He loves the past. And ideally, we would have used those ten episodes to get them to meet in the present. Damn, bro. Um, and it it's like I said, I she gives him a great dressing down in the middle of the street with like everybody watching, because uh, he goes through the whole episode, <clears throat> kind of being like, "Oh, your mom never really cared about me, or was was too good for me." He almost feels that uh, like he's, "What's she doing with me? Uh, what's she want with a guy like me going for goddamn PhD?" Uh, really infects the character he never thought he was good enough and but she did and Rhonda while still going off and being with other people still tried to like hey you know I don't want to be away from you you're just a fuck up <laughs> even their daughter he tries to be like, your mom never wanted me to like be with she was the one that actually pushed me to come here and like talk to you in the first place so oof, ouch man um and <laughs> using that daughter I would like to segue and we'll come back to because fucking hey, it's a great emotional plot. All right, that's Val, Val's daughter. If you watch Tremor 6, A Cold Day in Hell, like, oh, okay. That movie and those people knew about what was happening. Like nobody at Universal stopped anything. It was like, yeah, that's the daughter relationship that we want. She's just like, it. it there's the estrangement, but nothing really there. Uh, I actually like to live in a world where maybe Val, uh, Val had two daughters uh, that he <laughs> uh, was just like neglecting one a lot. Although, and this is what's weird, is that she's that Emily in this pilot is going uh, uh, going off to do an internship in Greenland, which is the near the same fucking place that Tremor Six takes place, where Valerie is. So it's like I feel like some things were kind of ripped off. I don't know. Like, I need to really uh, examine the time. No, 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 no. Because 2017. Yeah. I feel like Universal really, like, read a bunch of what was happening in this. And when it got scrapped, took what they liked and then just transferred it over to have another Valerie character that didn't really mean anything and not have to pay Andrew Miller for what he wrote. Because there's a lot of the same beats, uh, but played in a not as dramatic way, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's what I was saying too. In that, um, in that episode about the sixth movie, being a little bit upset that, like, oh my god, Valerie is like, hey, that boy's got game, girl. You're like the youngest person on this base. Why are you talking about other people's penises right now? You were just fucking hugging Burt Gummer like he's your grandpa. You, I mean, what in the fuck? Uh, to then, like, <laughs> that there's that level of brick to the face, uh, facial tick, wink. Uh, and then with this episode, uh, Emily's actually seeing somebody in perfection on the side, and Val doesn't even really pick up on it. 
like it's it's off to the side and there's actually a legitimate reason for her to doing that and even in that relationship she's doing a lot of what Kevin Bacon is doing to her to her boyfriend it's really kind of sad I'm like ouch uh, yeah um and yeah okay so with that there's no we'll just like I said just keep rolling here uh the idea that the biggest monsters that you would face, uh, you know, are graboids and stuff, but you would have a lot more emotional monsters, human monsters on the surface. The point to me was that they shouldn't be just battling graboids for 10 hours. The larger idea was that they'd have to be battling monsters both above and below the ground, with the monsters above the ground revealing themselves in the same shocking ways that the monsters beneath the ground were revealing themselves. Um... You're like, well, I mean, that's insane or whatever. Have you seen the TV show? Yo, people, learn about Proudfoot and the Trilateral Commission. Ah, ah. And if you didn't know, then guess what? Rhonda was a plant. Rhonda was a plant, Mother Humpus. Why do you think she was in the valley? She knew the whole time. Ah. Not really, but what if she did? Not like not that Rhonda actually knew, but their uh, the last Action Hero podcast uh, put forth this idea. It's I seen some other people think of it too. What was Rhonda doing there in the first place? Not so much her, but why was the seismology department sending people out there to that specific spot? And when you know that the fourth movie happened, and okay, so that there were graboids a hundred years ago or so. Well, okay. Then I can posit that maybe somebody had discovered in between the years 1889 and 1990, somebody else had actually discovered there were graboids there. I mean, I'll buy that. Like, uh, that you spent, there's a good part of the television show that talks about how the Christopher Lloyd character was all the fuck way in another part of the valley and they, they had no idea about it. Bert, like, he, Christopher Lloyd was actually watching Bert and Bert didn't even know. And there's like, I thought I knew everything about this valley. Hey, I'll get you. <laughs> but it's it's scary because then you're like, well, okay. This may be a secluded area, but I guess it's pretty fucking big and maybe we don't know everything that's happening. Um, and on the TV show's point, uh, and this is how you know that, like, somebody was watching it. Nancy talks about how there's a uh, energy vortex that the reason that they get everything that's happening to them, uh, not necessarily like spiritually, but like a, a cosmic physical phenomenon is it's just like an energy sink vortex where things pop in and out with ease. Uh, but you're like, that's fucking dumb until you realize how far Andrew Miller actually took that idea and ran with it. Uh, because there's actually a cult. There's a graboid cult in the pilot. All right. Um, it made sense to me that someone, particularly a group of younger, uh, spiritually inclined activists, would look at the graboid situation as a mistake. <clears throat> they see that mankind has been uh, destroying the planet. Nature has these tools at its disposal to combat that threat. And nature created the Graboids to do just that. And if you were 
charismatic enough in your description of that and the way you proselytize that idea, you could attract other people. It, it, it also seemed like an interesting conflict for Val because who would ever look at what happened and view him as anything other than heroic? My, my hope was, was to make them a bit silly in the pilot, disassemble, dismissible even, but that over time, the audience would start to say, maybe these guys are right. Maybe there's something to this. And there, uh, another halfway reference to the TV show and the third movie to prove that, like, Andrew knows what he's doing. Uh, that's when the concept of Graboids uh, being endangered species is introduced. Um, first in the third movie where they stop Bert from hunting uh, Graboids. And then in the TV show, when a whole group of activists actually show up to say, hey, you're like fucking with El Blanco's feeding habitats. And the perfectionites are like, actually, I think we're, we're feeding him. <laughs> like, it is, a, it is a symbiotic relationship. Uh, and if you do watch it, you'll notice that <clears throat> that is totally true that El Blanco and the town work together. Like, they bring in food for him, basically. And they have tourists sign waivers. Yeah, you're going to be fine. Here, just walk over there. We'll give you a seismometer. El Blanco, they went that way. Yeah, bro. Uh, <laughs> so the idea of you have a, a group of cultists that actually came to perfection to do this, to, like, worship the grab boy, not that far-fetched. And probably would have happened sooner rather than later if the original Stampede people had been around. Uh, interesting note on that, too. So, Graboids are endangered. Ass Blasters are endangered. Shriekers are shoot on sight because they can multiply so fast. So, don't kill shrieker, or Graboids and Ass Blasters. Shoot every fucking Shrieker you see! <laughs> uh, and to keep going, um, in the TV show, there is this corporation uh called the trilateral commission or they're more like an illuminati of uh corpo government entities that had the proudfoot labs in perfection that released the mix master and created a whole bunch of cool shit if you say okay we have a <coughs> pseudo fucking illuminati intelligence over here uh that has plenty of ties to powerful entities uh, well, then, obviously, that whole idea of maybe somebody sent somebody to the valley to check things out makes more sense. And as we go into the pilot here, Datalux, uh, subsidiary of the of Proudfoot Trilateral. Datalux was Melvin's last big attempt to, re to revitalize the town, to, to save it. <laughs> but what he didn't realize is that Datalux is bigger and worse than he knows. And they have their own plan for perfection. They would have been the ultimate bad guys for the season. They'd have this incredibly complex underground lab and office system. They'd have a piece of the Graboid that they'd been experimenting with, trying to reproduce nature's greatest weapon. Whoa! That's scary shit, man. Um, and as you're watching or reading or listening to the pilot, uh, you see that Mindy's kind of working with them. Uh, the guy that uh, Emily is dating is kind of working with them. 
I'm, like I said, I'm pretty sure Melvin knows too. He's just a jackass. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then you're like, well, that's a that, but that graboid was dumb. That was a stupid graboid that didn't look like the original graboids. Guess what, guys? That was actually the point. And I don't want to fucking hear any complaints about it when Universal went and was like, Yeah, look at the Graboids. They, they're bigger and they tunnel more. And also, the Ass Blaster looks like somebody blasted fucking ass. I'm an Ass Blaster. Could I look more like an anus? Uh, if you want to talk about <laughs> ridiculous, campy, going stupid with ass blasters, fuck you. That's bad. There's a eh, terrible redesign. I will buy your Graboid and Shrieker redesign, but that ass blaster one is shit. Shit. So this one that's been thought out, I'm going to buy. It. I'm going to go with. Because uh, even more so, it's actually a practical puppet. Uh, I'll see if I can't get the Tremor Saga people to post that picture, too. Um you can see all of it. It's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The new Graboids were designed by this company called Legacy Effects. And they're these brilliant puppeteers uh, and physical designers who've done dinosaurs for, for Jurassic Park and done the creature for The Shape of Water. They're geniuses, and they built the most beautiful Graboid puppet for us, with these five brilliant puppeteers moving its every piece of skin, lung, and fang. What's so remarkable about the original film is that the Graboids hold up in a way that many other movies at that time don't. And we wanted to stay true to that. So we went about making something that felt grounded and realistic because if it didn't meet that standard, nothing else would matter. <clears throat> and they even talk about in the, like when the Graboid is first introduced, they say uh, a bigger, scarier one, larger than the old photos. Like, they specifically call that out. Oh, yeah, this does not look like the one in the old photos, and it's partly what freaks Val out. So, yeah, they know what they're doing. And especially, you have plenty of stuff, if you see the pilot, where you see the actual old Graboid head. So they know what the original one looks like and aren't trying to completely dismiss it, but create something new. We wanted them to feel a bit more indigenous to the Earth than the original. <clears throat> The idea being that over 25 years, and with Datalux's help, its evolution had adjusted. There's something called the Devil Worm that exists, that exists two miles underground. It doesn't require air or light. The, the scientific joke is that it doesn't have a reason to live because it doesn't need anything. So we thought we'd put a bit of that DNA in there so they could travel deeper than they had before. And... Then there's the bobbit worm that uses uh, necrotizing poison like a snake to freeze its victims before eating it. So we used a bit of that. And there were others that had some traits we liked, including one that used echolocation. It didn't need to depend on sound and vibration to see, so you could be as quiet as you wanted, and it could still see you. So we used their physical properties to make them feel more worm-like. <sighs> We actually wanted something that could move through rock, move through granite. The guys at Legacy came back to us and said, we've studied this animal, and this is how they move and how they squeeze through tight places. So we took those practical, physical elements to create our new Graboid. 
wow, just listen to that. Listen, like, I, I really love reading what Andrew has to say about it because he, yeah, cares. Uh, it's like listening to me talk about it sometimes. Just like, damn, man. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Old old school, knowing what you're doing with the practical effects while also redesigning it up and keeping it uh, to the ground. It's what they did try to do in the original. Uh, yeah. Fucking yeah, man. Um, it, which I like. It just keeps going. Um, and to bring it to the original, um, the first Tremors movie was made on a budget of eleven million dollars. Uh, it was originally supposed to be fifteen, but Universal slashed it. Surprise, you know. Uh, Andrew Miller and Vindo Nichali. Who made Cube? I believe that they even worked together on it. Uh, I know that Andrew Miller is Kazan in Cube. They made Cube for three hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars. Holy shit, man! Which is that's a long way to go for you know a movie like that. That's a lot of fucking money. <clears throat> so for these guys to have been brought in to do this, it means that it's. You're going to be doing it cheaply and as well done as possible uh, to get the best product. Like that's boom, 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 boom. Um, I want to, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, I could talk about. Eh, it's eh, you don't really need to know how awesome they are. I don't know. I, I'm trying to really keep it tremors here as I'm going through. Uh, it's more. Andrew just really, like, loving Vincenzo. They've known each other, like, 17 years. Um, and, oh, here. All right. Uh, in talking about trying to get the tone of it right because of that, uh, Kevin didn't know him. He knew of Vincenzo because Cube, but not much more. I told Kevin about Splice, saying I loved it, but that some people really didn't, and I asked him to watch the first 20 minutes and tell me what he thought. Called me back two hours later and said, this is really fucked up. I love this guy. Because Splice is a science gone wrong movie that's emotionally complex. It's as interesting as any horror movie I've seen. It has beautiful effects and is incredibly cinematic. Splice wasn't funny, but to me, we already had the funny. We were going to hire actors who could do the comedy really well. And Vincenzo was able to approach those other aspects. The tension, the threat, the humanity, and the weirdness. <coughs> And it really took us to the next level, really embraced the landscape, and made it truly cinematic. Wow. And in the cool, you know, they actually filmed all of this on one, on one location in Albuquerque. Uh, wherever you looked, no matter where you were standing in the streets of perfection, you'd see impenetrable mountains in every direction. By some miracle, our designer and her team built the entire town in three weeks. We were able to rehearse it. Aaron was able to bring his team in to figure out how to shoot in it. It was as smooth a shoot as I've ever been involved in. Which, I mean, if you know how that works, like, wow, it's really crazy that that got done right. Actually, the first Tremors movie, all, all of the Tremors movies uh, with Stampede are particularly known for, like, getting a movie done really quickly for nothing. Uh, the first movie, pretty sure, is just, like, almost, it's not even 30 days of filming, almost. Like, maybe 40. The second movie is 25 days of filming. Uh, the fourth movie, only 23. Like, Jesus fucking Christ, people. Um, give, you got to pay somebody, give them some time to get shit done. Damn, man. Um, 
And on a great, I love, I love talking about him doing this. The set designers, they made Chang's this work of art, especially the merchandise. That was a runaway train. Uh, Not surprising. I'd written all of these things, all these magazines, headlines, signs, and other things, but the crew just couldn't stop bringing more stuff to us. The props guy asked if we wanted Graboid's stress balls, and sure enough, a week later, he came back with these stress balls. You press down on it, and, and three tongues would come out, then, then he said, how about a, a Graboid ride outside of Chang's, one of those 25-cent rides? And a week later, we've got the ride outside of Chang's. The set decorator came up to me one day and said, I hope you don't mind, but my mom crochets and she made you a graboid sock monkey. So we put that in Emily's room, and in one of the scenes where she's arguing with, with Val, she grabs this sock monkey as a comfort toy without realizing it. It was astonishing what these guys brought us. Every department was so excited to bring us ideas, and we used all of it. Even Japanese packages of freeze-dried graboid meat. You can't see all of it in the pilot. But Chang's would have been there until it was destroyed in the final episode. So we were planning to use it all eventually. Oh, man. Huh? Dope, dude. All that, all that. And even more, like, uh, if I can find, again, uh, try to get them to post more pictures of these. uh, There's some great stuff here. Lots Lots of cool Lots of cool merch that we could all use more of in our lives. Um, <laughs> and what's actually kind of cool about it, uh, I do I have this great quote uh, from uh, one of the producers, Jessica Rhodes, who's actually talking about an Andrew Miller quote. Um, Nostalgia, easy to glorify it. <laughs> Gulf of bullshit, lies, BS, perversely clinging to it. Nostalgia is part is first looking at the past without looking at the future or being fo- focused on the problems of the present. Uh, I don't know why I bring that up when it comes to the merchandise. I feel like again that'll come back around. Uh, no, oh, because. Talking about Vincenzo and Andrew uh, making this different. Uh, Did you notice? Chang's would have been there until it was destroyed in the final episode. Okay. What you doing? What you doing, you ballsy motherfucker? Okay. Okay. This is what I was saying about, like, there's a plan happening here. I'd like to, wait, 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 wait. you know, blow up Chang's. All right. I'm in. Oh, I just built. Awesome. <laughs> I'm in, though. Um. Yeah. Melvin wants to destroy. Mindy wants to fuck. Sorry, I'm going through my notes here. Uh. This pilot isn't nostalgic. Uh, I will read. Yeah, I'm going to read. This is a good time to read this because this I, I have a I have a problem. 
with everything I've been saying and the way these people are thinking. Uh, you've heard me talking about their passion and how much they care. <clears throat> I've seen a grand total of one person actually try to take me through the pilot. Why the pilot's not working. Uh, to I am Robbie Clark at Robbie Clark uh, on Twitter. I don't really want to get into it, but there was supposed to be a Tremors TV show. And I had a hand in torpedoing it before the pilot made it to air. I'm sorry, but you're also welcome. It was horrendous. Alright, so if nostalgia is shit, like, I agree. Let's, like, find out why. I'm sorry for the long-winded reply. I'm not trying to shit on it because I know no one sets out to make a shitty movie. I love most of the movies, but the show was disappointing, primarily to the aforementioned lack of passion. I jumped at the chance to be in the focus group four years ago, 2017, I believe. So please take it with a grain of salt. I love film and I love television. I'd like to think I know what I'm talking about, at least a little bit. I wanted it to be good. I really did. I didn't don't want it gone, but the saga and franchise feels like rehashing. And that bled into the show. It's Tremors. People will watch it regardless. It was passionless, void of what made the first couple movies amazing. And Tremors left a lot to be desired, especially following up on decades of films. Didn't have that magic. That's it. I'm done. Sorry to ramble and thank you for reading. I thought the characters were flat. Like, it, it kept going. I thought the characters were flat, almost like they all relied on the legacy of the movies. No chances taken. No real risk. There didn't seem to be much development in them. Stagnant more than anything. Uh... I felt, and I'm not making my money as a screenwriter, so take it for what you will, that it was far too explanatory. Not even exposition. Audience was spoon-fed. If you've listened, hopefully again, listened to the, the episode before this with the pilot, or you've read the pilot, do you get that idea? Is that is that shit spoon-fed to you? Because it felt really painful to me. I didn't get any spoon-feeding. I felt a lot of, like genre territory stuff that almost flipped it on its head a little bit. I wanted to I wanted to insert that <clears throat> that guy talking about it cuz I really don't get it, folks. Are people watching shit? Are they actually watching shit? I don't know. Or is it an expectation? Uh you know, it's kind of what I loved about me not liking Tremor 6 and 7, as I went through them, was just like, I wish that there was an expectation I had here, but I just expected, like, a Tremors movie, and it kind of, neither of them felt like it. They felt like uh, those weird-ass, really B-movies that, uh, Sci-Fi Channel, as much as I love the Sci-Fi Channel, but Sci-Fi Channel original movies, um, that shit's flat, uh, to me. Uh, this, uh, and to say that the characters are stagnant, uh, pff, okay, the characters, Jesus Christ, how much more could they change over time? I do, like, I have that, like, and in fact, the only one that didn't change, and it kind of makes sense that he didn't, is Melvin, like, Melvin's still fucking a prick, still everything he was in the, in the first ones, um, and even no, even then, no, he's turned into more of an adult, the way he dresses down Val, too, no, no, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know about that guy's tweets. I don't know. I wanted you guys to hear him because uh, it's one of the only people who's said anything. Um. <sighs> okay, so then, yeah. Okay, and now I'm reading this forward. This still doesn't make sense with what, I, what that guy said. All right, so if everything's just like just rehashing and the same and just nostalgic, then tell me what is this, all right? I wanted the subsequent episodes to feel like the movie in that it would never let up. It would just move from chapter to chapter, but there wouldn't be any ebb and flow, especially with streaming. I wanted people to be to be able to experience the story in the same way I did when I saw the movie and that they'd get a thrilling, thrilling funny, emotional experience. And... Uh, there's great like the episode does end on like a hell of a fucking cliffhanger uh something people like to call out for and you know talking about the thing about people not changing uh the whole episode is val trying to tell people that graboids are back and tell people what what he knows about graboids and how he's, he's smarter than them there's a line in the trailer that people like to point out they don't plan they don't strategize well yeah val but weren't you watching the other movies yeah, that's the point, because then the pilot ends on Val saying, Forget everything I said! Run! <laughs> so shit, in writing land, yeah, that one counts, folks. That was the point of having him sound like a jackass, first of all, so he could turn it around and be like, Oh, I was wrong! I was wrong! <laughs> and, ah, uh, so you're probably wondering, too, why was I singing that song at the beginning? Um... At the end, uh, the bad guy makes Val do a dance, uh, a song and dance, quite literally, to attract the Graboid. And what song does Valentine McKee choose? Four non-blondes, what's up? (laughs) And it wasn't until I read this in the script that I thought to myself, I need to actually check the date on when those were released because it feels like Four non-blondes is referencing Val's. What the hell is going on? I mean, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so then for Val to then say that, and I scream from the top of my lungs, who's going down? Is a really full circle moment that he didn't even realize needed to be full circle. So it's like, damn, man. Andrew, you fucking, you want the ball, bro. Damn. Oh. <laughs> uh. Really cool. <laughs> so I, as I go forward here, I am reading ahead about what Andrew has to say, and I'm always just laughing. Uh, and so that cliffhanger is a great... We wanted it to be impossible for people to not tune into the next episode, even if it was just to see what was going to happen in the first five minutes of episode two. Okay, uh, so let's see what happens to these dumb bastards in the desert, and from there, it'd be a hard ride to get off, After all, the whole season would take place over three days. Things would be happening so fast and secrets would be spilling out all over the desert floor. A lot of these ideas weren't fully formed, but they were enough to get us going. I met with a lot of writers in the hopes of putting together a a writer's room, getting a lot of people smarter than me in a room to say, here's what I've been thinking, let's figure it all out. My hope was that we could construct it in a way that was slightly different from most TV shows, in that we could move the lens judiciously from one story to another. 
For example, episode two could be Val and Mindy finding a way down to the tunnels to look for Emily and Nico. Two people trying to find their friends in a subterranean in a subterranean tunnel network that's filled with monsters. It, it wouldn't be a standalone episode, but that's where our focus would be that week. Then we could look at the deliberates in more detail and find out who these crazy hippies are that worship the graboids. One episode would be in real time where the characters need to get from one end of perfection to the other without making a sound. There'd be no dialogue in the episode. And maybe we have an episode in Chang's where the monsters that are coming out are the emotional monsters they've been hiding from each other. And it's like a play. Then the next episode is like Mad Max where they have to get to Datalux headquarters and you've got eight people and six cars and half of them are going to die in this mad race to get to the bad guys. So every episode would be like an, an event, but all part of one consistent story. Whoa. So, I mean, I like reading this because it's so clear with a companion piece to if you know the script. Like, ah, that would have been cool, man. That would have been cool. That's not rehashing. That's not nostalgic. I feel a lot of passion there. Thank you, at Robbie Clark. I am Robbie Clark for uh, saying something. We disagree with you, bro. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and that nostalgia thing, because I keep coming back. I really like that quote, knowing what they were trying to do with this, <clears throat> having Earl uh, be in the background in a shadowy kind of sense. Uh, Earl got successful, actually. Uh, and then, as Andrew Miller says, if we're talking about ideas and plans here, in the end, uh, hold on, yeah, okay, no, yeah, <laughs> or as Miller, or as Miller puts it, Earl would ride this wave of shit to success. <laughs> in the end, my hope was we'd have seen that Earl wasn't as distant as he seemed. And had a far better idea of what was going on than anyone could imagine. <laughs> My greatest hope was to get those two guys, Bacon and Ward, back together for those last few episodes. It never got to the point where I actually spoke to Fred Ward about it, but people kept assuring me he'd do it. I'm not sure if that's true, but we'd have unloaded such a pitch on the poor guy that I think he couldn't have said no. That said, whatever Fred Ward would have been willing to do, I would have gladly taken. One episode, three episodes, even just a brief hello. I'd do what I could to figure it out. Oh, so good. Oh, I don't even... There's nothing I can say to what he's saying. Uh, there's no commentary to be had here. Uh, it is just, yeah, Andrew Miller was trying to get Fred Ward back and that, and that idea there that Earl had his mind on a much higher ball, which if you, after the second movie, you would just have to assume that he got tripped up in the first movie, not his fault. He got tripped up in the second one and it was his fault. Motherfucker ain't going to fuck up like that again. <laughs> He's going to have more plans and more safety shit than Burt Gummer. Not even lying. Uh, so that knowing that is cool Uh, yeah and so I've gone through uh, I have to admit I am slowly 
going through this and I'm reaching this part of my notes where I just didn't really want to get to because it fucking sucks. Uh, but also they're getting to it here in this. So I got to get to it. Why didn't this happen? Oh, I know. <laughs> I don't know where I want to start on this, whether it's with Andrew or my own stuff. You know, I'm going to start with Andrew. He knows what he's talking about. It's all a sad, tear-stained blur. The studio was incredibly happy. They tested it, and it tested very well. Kevin tested off the charts. The people who knew the film loved it, and the people who didn't were intrigued. So they handed it up to the network confidently, but at the network level, they just weren't as enthusiastic about it as we hoped. And I'm not entirely sure why. All of it feels like it should have been a no-brainer to me. The pilot turned out really well, and the plan for the series would have taken it to another level. It's something that's never really been explained to me. I only heard it third-hand and never talked to the network about it. Ultimately, networks shoot for brand, and in this case, the brand worked against us as much as for us. They've got this George R. R. Martin horror on a spaceship thing coming. They had Krypton, and at the time they had The Expanse. They were into much more serious, dark-type science fiction corridors. I think they were leaning into that side of their brand more than ours, which was a daytime fun ride. Someone leaked the trailer to the pilot, and it was seen by two or three million people in a week or so. I heard some people were surprised by, by that reaction, but... I wasn't remotely surprised. It was exactly the reaction I would have expected. <clears throat> yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, that actually leads me into, yeah, uh, I fully buy that. It doesn't matter if they cared as much as they did, which is very clear that they, they do. Uh, I don't 100% buy that Twitter users, like, this passionless devoid thing. Nope. That was probably a pretty good thing. And actually, Kevin Bacon himself has gone on, like, you know, if it was shit, I would say so and not do it, but like he's, it's only made him want to do it more. <clears throat> it's still 2021 and we're still seeing articles about Kevin Bacon wanting to come back and do this. So what the fuck, sci-fi? Well, to know what the fuck, sci-fi, we need to go back in time a little bit. Have you heard of the 13-episode TV show of Tremors that's even better than all the movies? Oh, wait, you fucking haven't? Oh, my God! I'm so surprised! Not! Why am I not surprised? Uh, because Universal fucking... Universal and Sci-Fi know how to torpedo something for, for, for money reasons. There was a 13-episode TV show of Tremors aired in 2003... That got royally fucked. And what do I mean by that? I mean that when they were making the TV show even, they locked Brent Maddock and Steve Wilson out of the editing booth. Quite literally. Locked them out. Uh, so they couldn't have any say in how the episodes were edited to the point where one episode actually comes in about five minutes under Shriek and Destroy. It's only 38 minutes long uh, for a hour-long show because of shit like that. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one. Uh, 
two, when they were filming this, uh, they were like, oh, we want Tremors 4. Oh, we need to get Michael Gross. Oh, we don't have any time. You have to take Michael Gross off the series. Well, I mean, can't you guys, like, just give us a couple weeks in either direction? If you know my Steve Wilson impression, that's what. Yep, please. That would be nice. <coughs> Fuck you, Steve! <laughs> and they took Michael Gross away to go film a movie that they ended up waiting a year to release anyway. So that's two. And three, and this is the biggest one. So if you know Firefly, you know that Fox aired the episodes out of order and stuff. What they did to Tremors is fucking worse than that. Uh, there's a picture of all the episodes uh, side by side with some red lines and shit going between them. And you can see that, oh my god, these things are way the fuck out of order. Uh, no shit, nobody knows anything about this show. Or if they have watched it, they hate it. It's like, well, yeah, if you watched it in that order, fucking no wonder you hate it. You can't, you can Google it, and Google will tell you that that episode order, episode order is right. Even though it's fucking off. You watch it on any streaming service, that episode order is wrong. So if you're watching Tremors, and it goes Feeding Frenzy into Ghost Dance, you're watching it in the wrong order, folks. Ghost Dance is episode seven. <laughs> what? Um... Yeah, so back the fuck out. Make sure you find the actual right order for the episodes. So that's happening. That's sci-fi. They're known for doing that. That's what they've done. So when it comes to this, no fucking wonder that they were like, well, all right, we're going to kick you out, fuck you over. Um, And you're wondering why, right? Why? Have you ever heard of Fantastic Four and the rights for it? Uh being piggyback jumped uh, almost in a way by Paramount, I think it is. Uh, <laughs> what they have done, uh, they got the Marvel Fantastic Four a long time ago in the 70s, uh, and part of their rights contract is that they have to use it like every 10, 5, yeah, five 10 years? Uh, issues. It doesn't matter. They have to use it every certain period of time or the rights revert back to Marvel and they can't touch it anymore this is exactly what is happening with tremors universal will make a new tremors so that way they can push back the timeline just a little bit more and say well i mean we're still using it we're still using it we're still using it uh that's where a lot of what's happening i can't really 100 percent talk about uh with the behind the scenes for stampede tremors uh <coughs> mark toberoff look him up um <coughs> But you can do some things, some causalities and shit that get that back for you. There's a 35-year copyright clause thing that happens. So if the original creators can get in there in time, they can they can kick them out. But Universal and Sci-Fi are constantly... I would look out for another Tremors TV show in you know another seven years, too, for the same reason. Just to keep the rights and keep them going. Uh, it's fucked up. But guess what? That's Hollywood, folks. They like to hide their money. Did you know that Tremors is a half a billion, $500 million evaluated franchise, yet you're not going to be able to find any numbers for that? You will find that $500 million fucking dollar number, but you will not find how that money is made. So, yeah, Don Michael Paul is a drug smuggler. Um, uh, <laughs> it's a tax dodge. Uh... We could put Tremors on an empty box and sell it. Uh, 
all that fucked up shit. Um, and it, I don't really want to get too much into that because it's not a part of this. Uh, but in one sense, I do want to bring up that if that Graboid looks different, did you ever consider Mixmaster? People? Huh? Did you know about the compound that combines various species of DNA into non-recombinant life forms or some bullshit? <laughs> uh, if Mixmaster's in the valley, you can bet your sweet ass that a Graboid's going to eat it at some point or another and maybe evolve. No way, man. <gasps> Pikachu face. <laughs> uh... Uh, so that's where I will fight that Graboid design to continue to see it. Because they know what they're doing. It's a mixed master Graboid. That's, I'm, I'm in. That's it. That's, I'm in. I know. If they can evolve in Africa, they can evolve in perfection. I have that written down, folks. I'll repeat it again. If they can evolve in Africa, they can evolve in perfection. Yes. Scoobly doobly doo. <laughs> what <Well>, are you? <laughs> yeah, man. Oh my god. I actually got through it. Holy shit, man. That's because that's it. That's really it. Uh, you, once you know about that TV show and the rights, and we'll explore it more with what Stampede uh, Tremors is doing uh, to get their to get their baby back. Um, yeah, Universal <coughs> made this TV show so that they could keep the rights mm-hmm. uh, but as a point of like hope uh, uh, this is what Andrew Miller and even in Kevin Bacon uh, has said this same thing he's still trying it's tremors it took us 25 years to get to this point it'd be one thing if Kevin said we tried and it didn't work quit bugging me but he's still a big fan of the franchise and a big fan of the show. And he really enjoyed playing Val again. I think he'd jump at the chance to continue it. I can imagine him saying, let's see what Val's like in three year- in 30 years or whatever the case. For a guy who doesn't look back and who hasn't done a sequel to anything, I think this was a good enough experience that it always remains possible. Again, like I said, if you've read everything else uh, about Kevin, there's plenty of articles where, yeah, he's in, man. So if that's happening, if you got the biggest star of your fucking series outside of Reba, who Universal won't try to fucking work around her tour schedule, for the love of God, all you got to do is get in touch with Reba's people and be like, when are you touring? Can we use you when you're not touring? Done, man. Dibbity done. <laughs> they won't do that, but you got Kevin Bacon. He's still trying. Uh, you know, we're going to... We're going to keep going our own selves too, you know, like it's, uh, it's hard. Um, there's not, there's not much I can say that can't be said by listening to the the pilot itself, listening to the podcast of the pilot or reading the pilot for your own self to experience it. If you don't want to hear my annoying ass talk about it, which I totally get, uh, yeah. Um, see that uh, share it with your friends share that pilot uh, and say fuck you universal you don't know what we don't you don't know what we want we're gonna make that we're gonna get we're gonna get tremors back to the people who made it actually there's a 
a horrible thing in another Hollywood Unseen article that we'll go through for uh, the fifth movie where <clears throat> Bloomhouse actually wanted to get in contact with the original Stampede Tremors people. Andrew talks about it there a little bit. Like they actually wanted that to work together and the, and the Stampede team was like, oh my God, fucking totally cool. Yeah, we're getting back. Yeah, getting back into it. And then Universal turned around and was like, nope, we don't, no, don't, don't even talk to them. Like, that's like, that was the missive. Um, uh, there's some tweets and shit from Andrew Miller and Vincenzo where they're like, oh yeah, no, they told us not to even like talk to them. Like, don't even reach out to them. And it's kind of like, oh, when you, when you know that the script says based on the kick-ass film by S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock and you won't even let them reach out to those people it's really easy to go to the stampede entertainment site it's on the at tremor saga twitter right at the top click that and just ask a question boom just type in a question you can even type in i love you stampede boom and you're getting in contact with them that's it and for universal to be like no don't even don't even contact them don't even don't even try. I feel I feel so bad for Andrew. Uh, <clears throat> Andrew, if you're listening to this, please don't hate me for that impression of you. Like I said, I listening to you talk, man, it just hurts. Like not even that interview. Listening, listening to you talk hurts. Even I was listening to some Kevin Bacon interviews, and even man, he's just ouch. Uh, it's kind of funny too because uh, he made the original Tremors movie because he needed money. Uh, and there's a partway feeling of like he wanted to make Tremors the series because he needed money. If you know about him and Kira Sedgwick, they got fucked over by Bernie Madoff. And so like, oh, you know, that sucks. Poor Kevin. Uh, again, we're not going to blame you for not wanting to come back for the other movies. <clears throat> Life is hard, bro. It's okay. We love you. Tell Kira we love her too. It's lunchtime. Um, yeah. Ouch. I'm just in a lot of pain right now. <sighs> you know, I do love in the in the pilot, Valentine talks about how Hulk Hogan named a wrestling move after him with the, the graboid going off the cliff. The Valentine bamboozle. So here's the here's to that. Here's the let's create our own Valentine bamboozle. And fuck you, Universal. Um, and on that note, I want to do some thank yous. I always like ending on thank yous. There's a lot of people that make all of this possible. Thank you to Caitlin Lutt, my wife. I love you. My supporter, my protector, my everything. Uh, thank you, my dad, Denny Bursloff. You're kick-ass. Keep it up, bro. Um... And there's probably one person, if he's listening to this, uh, at Thomas DJT, DJ2. Thanks for supporting the Tremor Saga on Twitter. Uh, they love it. Uh, and just keep posting everything you've got, man. We want to keep seeing it. Uh, thank you. Huge fucking thank you to Hollywood Unseen and another film nerd for writing that piece. 
for talking to Andrew and going through that and doing all that. <clears throat> they actually reached out to me a long time ago because I had the script and was showing people, telling people about it and talking about Tremors a whole bunch. And they did a Twitter search of Tremors and found me. And I actually was able to get them to talk to Steve. And that's how we got the script for the fifth movie, uh, Gummer Down Under, uh, scene along with the write-up for that was uh, another film nerd saw me talking Tremors and wanted to talk Tremors, and we kept talking Tremors. That is the name of the podcast, baby, name of the game. We're talking Tremors. Uh, and on that note, I want to thank, I don't know this person's real, uh, Nerd Bro one or Tim, <laughs> as far as I know, the person who sent me the pilot script. Uh, we're talking in a Reddit thread. I was talking about it, and he was just like, oh, I just happen to have it. Yo, bro! give it to me and what was cool was then i also had the pilot i had the script for the original tremors too and he was like oh hey do you got that i'll send it to you bro yeah man because i found that one because of another person on twitter like just like damn man like keep trying keep searching keep pushing um amazing uh and on that note thank you helen shaver i know you're not listening but she's awesome follow her on twitter watch station 11 on hbo max i haven't really seen it but i hear it's awesome it's got some time travel-y stuff uh, sci-fi we're always into it and she's directed uh, multiple episodes of it and some uh, bigger thank yous here as we go through thank you kevin collins thank you at beetle bear yo bro yeah freedom they may take our tremors or fuck it they may take our lives but they will never take our tremors that's for you buddy uh, uh, thank you, Rattlecat, Rattlesire, for being one of the first people to listen to this podcast. Give us notes, so that way we keep going forward. The only reason we have some video is because of you and Kevin. Um, thank you to another Kevin, Kevin Smith, uh, of the Sons and Shadows podcast. Sent me a lovely video of his daughter uh, watching Tremors movies uh, that really reminded me of when I was younger. Uh, what got me being able to monologue, memorize things. Uh, was Burt Gummer's monologue in the second movie. Uh, I fucking rewound the tape all the time. Yes, rewound the videotape for you kids. I feel like a kid, too. That's just dumb. Uh, over and over again to make sure I got that right. And it's where my... If you're going to fucking do a quote from something, you better get it goddamn right. Uh, and thank you again, Sunjin Shadow Podcast, and then Jeff Johnson, too, for listening and being there for us. Uh... Thank you, Steve and Glenn. I know you're over there somewhere. You're going to be listening to this here soon uh, and, and editing it. So thank you guys uh, for everything. Thank you, Steve and Michelle uh, at Real Deal, Real Deal Productions. Make sure you check out their YouTube page where they're posting a whole bunch of behind the scenes of the Lost Tapes as a companion piece to what we're doing here with Talking Tremors. Uh, and then again, Glenn Maddock and Brent, thanks for just like being there in our corner. Uh, and again, Nancy and Ron, always love to you too. And some bigger thanks to the one of the few peop, two people uh, from the cast on Twitter to actually uh, retweet and like our tweets about the pilot script, about getting it out there. Thank you, PJ Byrne. And most importantly, thank you, John Ellison Conley, uh, for just, yeah, thank you for supporting Tremors. Um, Honestly, John, as I read your Harlan, I really wanted to see you even more and more in there. Uh, and knowing that you started the full Monty or you were in that uh, original production just makes me so curious. 
and then bigger thanks to Vincenzo Natali again for always reaching out and loving us for sharing the script. Uh, Kevin Bacon, thank you for putting this together and wanting to do this. Uh, it would have been great, man. It would have been great. It is great. We got to get this thing seen. Uh, and on that note, thank you to Andrew Miller for this script. And if you're a true grabhead or tremmy, you gotta, you got, you gotta follow this guy. You gotta give him some respect, give him some love. He is in a really sad place because of this. And fuck, that's a bunch of bullshit, man. We're we are getting this. We are getting this thing seen. We're getting it out there. We're done. Fuck you, Universal and Sci-Fi. I don't care if it breaks my bridges for the future. Fuck you, man. We will start our own theater company with Black Jacks and Hookers. Uh, you know, fuck you, man. Oh, mm. yeah. Uh, so yeah, listen to the the Tremors pilot podcast that we did. Uh, follow at Tremors at the Tremors Saga on Twitter. They're always posting shit. Um, there's a Discord for Tremors now. Uh, that's on their page too. Uh, shit, man. Uh, what else? Watch the Tremors TV show. Uh, the one from 2003. It's fucking better than the movies. Don't watch Tremors 5 through 7. Especially don't watch Tremors 7. Tremors 4 is the best movie. Make sure you start with it before you watch one. Ass blasters aren't terrible. Fuck everything and yeah. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> Hold on, I have Okay, I know how I want to end it Okay <clears throat> I feel I was denied Critical Need to know Information Well, we're sorry Bert You know, they Just kind of changed on us all of a sudden we would have told you, but they knocked out the, the radio tower. Well, what happened? Well, when the radios went out, I decided to return to the refinery. But en route, I find I'm in an ambush situation. Must have been a couple of dozen of these things. So anyway, I dropped the first wave with semi-auto fire, but they just kept coming. Sure, like most of them were in front of the truck, so I just popped it into sixth wheel and ran them down. Once I got on board, I handled with a combination of small arms, fire, and hand-to-hand -hand techniques. I am completely out of ammo. That's never happened to me before. Thank you all for listening to Talkin' Tremors. Ah.